Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Helmsley, the show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I'm alone right now, but in about 10 minutes, actually, we're going to be joined by old friend Joe Goodrin. Time to do your Joe for the first time in a long time here on the program. And outside of that, we'll be talking about Red Sox. Red Sox now with a new president of baseball operations slash general manager. Whatever it is, a new head honcho in the decision-making department there in Boston. And, of course, the Patriots, 8-0, and I want to dive in. I have a few thoughts on the Browns game. And also, Celtic season, well underway. Planting star about the mic is also not on its stand right. I'm a little late today, so I'm a little bit disheveled. We'll say. But nevertheless, once again, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. And if you want to chime in on any of these topics, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-8787. Once again, the phone number to get on the program is 401-456-8787. And with that, I think it's about time that we dive on in here. And hello, everybody. There are probably more important stories than this one I have right here as I try and, once again, fix the mic as it's falling off of the little holder thing. All right. Better. Not perfect, but it's better. I can fix the rest of the break. Anyway, so a new story broke. Not broke, but a story I found that came out in the last, I don't know, hour, couple of hours. Came out, yeah, like two hours ago, today. A report, and it come coming from no nope, nobody ever heard of, but I have seen a Bleacher Report tweet on this subject, and then a little bit more detail from this story coming from something something called LarryBrownSports.com. I never heard of this. Like, once again, the 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 genesis of the I mean the the crux of this was confirmed by BR, so I'm counting it, and that is that the Brooklyn Nets are already concerned about Kyrie Irving's mood swings. Kyrie Irving, of course, former Boston Celtic. And the confirmation being that effectively Kyrie Irving has or- Kyrie has already begun to get moody with the Brooklyn Nets in their management. And the article goes on that like over the summer, or not over the summer. Yeah, over the summer. Over the summer when the Nets were doing sort of their normal training routine they have their whole little little mini camp where they get data on the like biometric data, whatever to gauge the players and what's like whatever 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 it is. They have their whole own little thing that they do, and they do it with all their players. And Kyrie Irving was just like, "I'm not doing it." According to once again this guy on this website, cites Jackie McMullen. McMullen. So I would. Be a bizarre thing to lie about, a source from Jackie McMullen. So he cites Jackie McMullen as reporting on this and yada, yada, yada. And also Durant and Jordan were DeAndre Jordan, who I keep forgetting is on the Nets. DeAndre Jordan, they weren't super into it either, but they did it. It's just, yeah. And Kyrie wouldn't do the thing, and everybody else did it. He just didn't do it. And the coaches were like, whatever, you're Kyrie. We, we knew what we were getting into. Basically, fine. You don't have to. 
And then... Also, McMullen, McMullen was told that Irving often goes into funks when he becomes unwilling to communicate with the coaching staff in front office. And one such instance took place when the team was in China. Team officials were left puzzled, and the mood swings are said to be an unspoken concern for them. So basically, they, <laughs> they know that this guy, they know that Kyrie Irving is the way he is, and they know that he's annoying and moody and tough to deal with, but they're not going to speak about it because if you acknowledge it or you try and tell him to start acting differently, you run the risk of... Well, he won't like that, and you'll set him off even more. <laughs> so it's an unspoken concern that the Max player that you just invested all the money in is, yeah, prone to becoming petulant. And then the article goes on to... On a separate occasion in China, Irving refused to remove his hat for a team photo shoot. He reportedly said the team should Photoshop the hat out if they don't want him to be shown wearing it. <laughs> so they can't, they can't get the guy to take off a hat. It is the same situation the Celtics were in. In fairness, like I'm not trying to dick on the next, be like, oh, why are you letting this guy do what he wants? Because the Celtics were letting the guy do the same thing, like, six months ago. The Celtics would have let him do anything he wanted because they need to keep the player happy. Because they can't keep the player happy. He goes off the deep end. And... Now you don't have him. And you spend all the... Now, the Nets, you think, are actually in a slightly better position than the Celtics. Because at the very least, they don't have to worry about him re-signing. At the end of the year. So the Nets will never be in a situation where they're potentially going to lose him for nothing. Yeah, they're not in a situation where they need to wait for him to resign. So at least the Nets, they have that on the Celtics. Now, he can always demand a trade at any time, as these NBA players are prone to do, and demand a trade and demand that he's out, which very well could happen. But, at the very least, they get something out of that. So, really, like, really, so, the Nets are, so the Nets are slightly better position, but yep, they are getting the full Kyrie experience real early. And I was wrong. I thought they'd get at least a good year out of him. I told a bunch of people that. Like, I, he'll be happy for the year. He'll, he'll be happy for the first year because it's different and he's convinced himself, convinced himself that this is what he wants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So at least he'll get through. 2019, 2020, it'll be good. Because the first year with Kyrie was good. Maybe partially because he got hurt in reality. But they'll be fine. But nope, he's already, there's already videos of him kind of yelling at the young guys there. And Durant's not there yet. He might never come back and be the same player, at least this season. So, yeah. Good luck to the Brooklyn Nets. Good luck to the Brooklyn Nets. Anyhow, though, with that, we're going to go to an early first break here. We already have him on the phone lines. So when we come back, it'll be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. Once again, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we'll be back in just a flash.
90.7 WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley here. We've been talking free first segment. We talked some Kyrie Irving. Kind of poked fun at the Brooklyn Nets. That was something I just wanted to get out of the way. Because we have an early guest appearance here from a good friend. And once again, it is now time for the first time in a long time to do your job with Joe Gudrid of Real Sports 101. 101, or formerly Real Sports 101, of the Peace Corps. I know that much. And how you doing, Joe? Oh, I'm doing great. How you doing, Jake? Good, 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 good. Thanks for coming on. Sorry that I had to uh, put you on hold as the segment came. I kind of came in a little late today, so it's kind of a whirlwind trying to get everything together to start the show early, especially with you two. <laughs> I wanted to get my first segment out of the way before you came on, so I kind of I was fixing the mic in here. I was trying to hook up my computer. The computer system in here is all screwed up right now. I had to fix a bunch of things on the fly, but we're here now. So hello, Job. How have you been? <laughs> I've been great. Uh, I w- I'd be better if we were playing October baseball, but yes, uh, right. I'm doing well. Very, very few are. But there is some baseball news, and that's what we're going to talk about here, is that the Boston Red Sox, after, I want to say a long surge, because it took longer than it did, but I don't want to say a, a hard surge, because it doesn't feel like they really did much. Uh, the Boston Red Sox have hired... And drum roll, please, because this is very exciting. As the new chief president of baseball operations, they have hired, and I'm going to butcher this name, Haim Bloom. Is that right? Haim? Uh, I think I think that, I think that's how you pronounce it. So Haim Bloom, who, if you if you don't know who Haim Bloom is, he was some kind of VP, because baseball teams have like a bajillion VPs. He was the senior vice president of baseball operations at the Tampa Bay for the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Red Sox, who of course set out on this and said that they, you know, they did not want an in-house candidate. They wanted to get an experienced outside candidate. Their experienced outside candidate turned out to be a less experienced guy who's never been a president from a different team, from the race. Which is not to try and knock. Is it try and knock? Eh. Not to try and knock High and Bloom, because I, I I don't know. I, I don't I, I know nothing about him because he's the vice president. So frankly, you you never know. You you never know with the guy who wasn't in charge of a team anywhere. Like any assistant coach, any assistant GM, in the end, you never know. On any sport, at in Anywhere. Because in the end, you, you never know. Because like, I, I want to say he'd be good because the Rays have had a good front office, I'd say, the last couple of years. They've, they've done good with, you know, nothing. But in the end, when you have an assistant coach and a, an, assist, an assistant GM and a vice president of anything, you never know if they just, you know, were coasting off of whoever was actually in charge there. You just never know until you get it. And everybody will say good things about him, I'm sure. Especially now, the Red Sox will. The Red Sox press arm will find a billion nice things to say about him. We'll find, you know, everybody in Tampa Bay saying that he's a bright guy, yada, 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 great guy. But you don't know. Now, obviously, the Red Sox have tried to say that he was their first choice all along. That's not true. That's a lie. <laughs> Am I wrong to say that's a lie, Job? No, that that's definitely a lie. Um, their first choice um, was actually, as far as I could tell, Theo Epstein um, to come back and run things once again, or Andrew um, Friedman, or one of these guys, or Andrew Friedman, or one of, one of these more experienced guys who's had their hel- their uh, you know themselves at the helm to to build a championship caliber team. Yes, obviously, elsewhere. obviously um, the Boston Red Sox. 
never at any point. The Boston Red Sox should never at any point sit down at the table with John Henry and all the people and say, okay, so our first choice is we, the Boston Red Sox, we should go get the vice president of baseball operations from the Rays. That's our first choice. That would be a get for us. But also, the Red Sox have put themselves in a position where I don't think a lot of people really want to run the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, no, I, I feel like the, the job was not a desirable one uh, by all reports. I think it was clear that a lot of the big names in baseball operations didn't want the job because of the situation that Dave Dombrowski has put us in. Um, in the, well, I don't think we, from think, a cap standpoint. I don't even think that uh, would be the reason why. Standpoint. See, I don't think that would be the reason why. Because the roster has plenty of talent. They'll eventually, I mean, not going to want to spend money this year, but in the future, you know you'll be able to spend money. I think I, I say it's not desirable just because, like, everybody keeps getting fired. And it's not seeming. That's true, too. Le- There's no real job security in Boston because you miss the playoffs, you get fired. It's um, just it's not a job where you're going to, where at least a guy f- will feel like they're going to be able to take their time. But then I, I bring it back, as I bring it back to Dave Dombrowski, like, now knowing what we knew now. Obviously, like, if it was Andrew Freeman or Theo Epstein, obviously, like, I would have been 100% into it. 100% in on either of those guys. Either of those guys. They're, they're the kind of guys. But now, knowing what we know now, would you rather have Dave Dombrowski or Haim Bloom? Oh, I'm all in on Haim Bloom. Are you? Uh, I'm put, Push your chips to the middle of the table. I'm all in. You're I all think. in on Haim. Okay, because... Um, I think everything that he does is going to be small ball for the first year. I yeah. think a lot of what he said in his press conference um, really resonated with me as things that I would have wanted to hear, uh, especially the, the brutal honesty that he gave reporters and questions asking about Mookie Betts. He said, listen, I don't know. It was discussed. It was part of my interview process, how to handle the Mookie Betts contract. I appreciate you know, the difficulty of the situation and you either win or you get fired. He seems pretty clear that he understands the stakes. Oh, sure. Um, but I mean, you like, know, he's good at managing a small market team theoretically. Well, so what that, he can do with money, we shall see. Like you said, you never know with the number two you guy. You never know with the number but two, I'm number in, three guy. I'm all in. I'm all in on Heim Bloom because I like the promotion of OBH. The promotion of what, uh, sorry? Brian O'Halloran. Uh, OBH, Brian O'Halloran, mm-hmm. the general manager. I really like that move. I, I, don't, think, I don't care. Like, uh, um, Brian O'Halloran is a solid baseball guy. He would have been my pick for general Matt, for uh, president of baseball operations in house. Um, so I really do like this move. I think Heim Bloom is going to hopefully be able to draft us some in house pitching, uh, which should lead to success. I mean, the last pitcher that come out of the Red Sox system that was successful is John Lester in 2007. Um, we really need, yeah. you know, historically okay. we're really bad at drafting pitching. So here's the thing. I'm not as gung-ho about it as you are, clearly. On a conceptual level, I like the hire. Because, like, I, I agree that this is the ilk of president that they should want right now. This, this is the, this guy fits the mold. You know, I don't want to say young guy, but, like, you know, progressive, forward-thinking, analytics, yeah, small ball, developed, savvy, guy which is why i wanted them to get theo epstein or andrew friedman like seemingly everybody else wanted now 
this guy is, I think, I think from what limited knowledge I have, he is in the mold of a Theo Epstein and the mold of an Andrew Friedman. So it's just a matter of, is he actually good at those things? You know what I'm saying? Like, he he could be small ball and be value-orientated and focus on drafting. It's just now a matter of, is he any good at it? Is he any good at those things? And that's why there is a part of me that, you know, I want to say that the Red Sox overplayed their hand here. That maybe the Red Sox overestimated the sort of player that well, they let me that they were going to be able I mean the sort of manager they were going to be able to get and it's not at least I don't think it's unfair to question you know were would they have been better off sticking with Dave Dombrowski if this was door number 2 Well now let me ask you a question then do you think that you will know in a year two years three years whether Heim Bloom was a success because I don't I think he will be long gone out of Boston uh by the time we know if he was successful and I think that's because his real strength that he's going to bring to the team, from what I can tell, uh, from what I've read from Tampa Bay and uh, and speaking to people uh, that I've met at different conferences about him, is that he is very good on the draft board, especially with pitching. And so what I look at is I know that, you know, he might not be the guy, but hopefully, you know, three years from now, four years from now, we can look back and be like, wow, Heim Bloom did what Theo Epstein did. And, and brought us some real talent. So, so you think I that? So you think that, that the goal is that success? Boy, so you're saying that then, like you'll you'll look back and say he's going to come in here, do a bunch of drafting, bring in some young guys, get the payroll under what? Then they're going to like pivot to somebody else, and then we're going to be looking back at higher. Yes, I do actually, and the reason I think that is because I think. Well, see, if you do that, though, recently, who... what we see from ownership mm-hmm. is that the Boston Red Sox organization is not willing to spend money currently, uh, but they're also not willing to lose the fan base is patience. Uh, and I think, you know, one year of losing already, they fire someone. Yeah. You know, bad contract situations, they fire someone. In three years, if we don't make it back to a deep playoff run, which I don't know if we'll do under Heim Bloom, um, then I think he's gone. Well, see, that's, I think five, see, that's six, the problem. seven years. So, he, like, but the, like, the, he might this, have an impact. But, like, the design is built in where he'll be fired in three years. Like, if that's the case, then who are you going to hire then? Like, if Heim Bloom is the best that you could get... <laughs> Now, after people see two GMs get fired after two, three years, who are you going to get after now? A third GM gets fired. After- see, I think I think if you get Hyman Bloom and he drafts well the way I think he'll yeah. draft, sure. um, then I think the job becomes a lot more desirable. Because I think that a lot of the problems that GMs had with potentially coming to the Red Sox and baseball operations presidents and things like that, mm-hmm. is they, they don't want to work under the, this ownership group that seems to be very much manning the hell in terms of tight, they want to tighten the budget. Yeah. Um, they don't want to spend money. They want to let these quality players go, but then they also expect success. Well, no, like they want to and spend so, money in fairness. Like I'm not going to talk about the Red Sox ownership like they're cheap. They don't oh, not. They still fair, want fair to. Enough, like the amount of money enough. that they're spending is still like if they like I think they want what is it? The number is like 200. They want to get under. Sure, they want to get under the cap. Like in fairness, that is still astronomically more money than like you know what, 15 teams spend even, then the Braves spend for sure. Sure. But that fact, no, like, most, I, don't think that, I don't think that the problems with this job come in the budget. Like, the budget is the budget. You know, like, plenty, like, I don't think most, many GMs are going to really be, like, if you give them a $200 budget, they're really going to bulk at that. 
I think See, it's that's, just gonna, that you and I disagree at that. I just then, think that the that I the see. bigger problem is is just that they've seen got like I saw a guy win a World Series, get fired. They saw Sherrington do everything he did and get fired. Like they just they see it. They saw Theo Epstein have all sorts of problems and kind of just get pushed out, pushed himself out, whatever exactly the situation is there. But they see that and they're just you know all these successful. Competent, talented executives either got fired or didn't want to be there. So why am I, when I have other options and I'm not high in bloom, why am I going to go there? You know, that is, it's just, it's not. Do you, do you want to win? Do you want to win championships? Sure. But I'm just saying that clearly guys. That to me is, is what the Red Sox are consistently about. Sure. I think that the one thing that really people don't want to do is, is work under, this ownership group, which yeah. seems to have really tight hold on the reins. Yeah, no, I agree with, um, I I agree with that. It's... I agree it's about the ownership. I'm just saying it's more about the ownership and the way that they've treated these executives more than the ownership and the budget. I agree it's all about so, the ownership. Yeah, so that's it, fair. Uh, it's all about the I, ownership. I just, eye on, I just, yeah, you and I don't see eye to eye on what the other issues I are. I just don't think the budget um, is the problem. Because I don't think it's necessarily the budget as a whole. I think this offseason, it's it's the budget because oh, sure. the tightening of the reins by this ownership group um, yeah, like this in is regards a bu- to the budget this season yeah. and also the expectations of Red Sox Nation makes it very tough to succeed, mm-hmm. I think, in this position this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. I think if you have Heim Bloom come in and draft well, uh, you know, and the Red Sox miss the playoffs for two, two maybe three years, um, you know, in a row, which is possible – if they deal Mookie Betts and they don't re-sign J.D. Martinez, things like this. You know, if they do that, I think the job becomes a lot more desirable because, A, the expectations are lower. B, I think you have probably a pretty good farm system to work with. And Mm -hmm. C, I think all these old contracts that are currently taking up space in that budget are gone. And so you have a clean slate with a huge budget with decent, you know, prospects in your system, mm-hmm. kind of like what Dave Dombrowski came into, uh-huh. um, you know, when he took the job. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you have a chance to build a winning roster, uh, you know, and compete for championships for, you know, three or four years before eventually you get moved out. Well, listen, so... Oh, God, I had something. What was I going to say? Oh, I had something. Now I'm forgetting it. Oh, well, I'll move on. I'll move on to my other thing. And then you br- you bring a Mookie Best. And that, that's, like, that, that's the biggest thing about this job... Is Haim Bloom, who's never been the lead executive in a place, he's never been the lead executive for a team, is he the guy that you want negotiating and trying to move Mookie Betts? Because I'm not saying that, like, he's some incompetent, you know, youngin and that guys are going to take advantage of him and put him through the ringer. But, you know, would you rather ideally have a more talented, I mean, a more, a more tenured, a little more savvy, not savvy, but like a more experienced executive being the one who did that. Because, I mean, also for all I know, he was the one who was negotiating all the trades there in Tampa. But also in Tampa, they've definitely never made a trade, you know, of this magnitude. To acquire, sure. Or to trade. Uh, I, um, I think that there's a difference. Um, but I really don't think that the president of baseball operations in Boston is going to be the one making that decision. Oh, I think ultimately that decision is going to come down to Scott Boris and Scott Boris alone. Um, you know, the baseball super. Well, well listen, if they so, have to trade him, sure. Like if they have to or not trade, I assume they're going to trade him, but I'm just saying like, is he the guy you then want negotiating that trade? Like so is he the guy that you I want? I don't think it really matters. 
um, who negotiates the trade because Mookie Betts is who he is. Um, I actually think it's a good thing to have Heim Bloom uh, negotiating that trade because in that trade, what you want back is prospects. Yeah, you're not looking. You're not looking for. Uh, you know, MLB ready mm-hmm. players, which is what Dave Dombrowski is really good at picking up. Yeah, you're looking at prospects, um, and the one thing Tampa Bay is very good at is is developing and picking prospects. Uh, yep. What they're not good at is paying players. So if you take Heim Bloom and his experience in Tampa Bay, theoretically yeah. in charge of developing prospects, yeah. uh, you put him in a situation where that's his entire theory. That's his entire role. I think he's successful. Yeah, no, listen, like, like I get, like, the idea, the ideal scenario is, you know, you be, and I see it, the ideal plan is you become the Rays, but with the Boston Celtics payroll. Which, yeah, like, if you take that Rays team right now, which is a really good team, they have a really nice little team there, but then you, you know, you went to them and then said, by the way, you can spend $200 million instead of, 50 million, like, yeah, that team's probably in the world. Like, if you take that team that, you know, almost beat the Astros and then quadruple their payroll, then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I I said, like, once again, like, I get it. Like, that is a fine plan. That is a fine – and if that works, like, that is what you would hope you'd get with an Andrew Freeman or a Theo Epstein. Obviously, they're used to dealing with bigger payrolls, but just, you know, guys who know how to draft and develop, it's just – like I said, instead of you getting the more of a sure thing you get with a more experienced guy, you don't know what you're getting with High and Bloom, which is, once again, just why I think it's not unfair to, what's I going to ask, if they overplayed their hand? Fire Dave Nebraska. I just, think it's quite possible they did. Yeah. Um, did they just, but like I said, I think, you know, out of the possible situations, and especially with what I heard from him, you know, when he spoke to the media yesterday, um, I really, really do like uh, his approach. His approach was very simple. It's, I'm coming in with no bias. I'm coming in and I'm going to do what's best for the organization. And I don't know what that is yet. Sure. What that means to me is basically there's no plan. I didn't come in here with like, a, oh, you have to trade Mookie back or, oh, you have to sign him or, oh, you have to keep him. It's like they're going to let this guy make decisions because they're tired of making the wrong moves. Sure. So I think that if they loosen the reins a little bit – and this guy can do a good job. And if it turns out that he's not doing a good job, he'll be gone before we know it anyway. Yeah, it's just that then if he's – but then once again, I just repeat, like, if they then fire him, then you're really not getting anybody. <laughs> then, sure. then, then, the li- sure. then the line gets – then maybe you got to go get, get, like, the fourth guy in Tampa. See, I think that at, at that point, you know, the organization will be in a different space. So you and I disagree on that. Yeah. But what I do know is that, you know, the guys like Theo Epstein who come into the league – you know, in 2003, things like that, as, you know, people in baseball operations. Yeah. No, like, if he's the next Theo, he's the next guys. Theo, you know. like if Someone that, has to find those guys. Like, if they and, think you know, he's going to be that. Theo's no longer the new hot thing. Yeah. No, Maybe like, this is him, you know. Also, let's, let's hope. Which is, we're talking about that, and the crazy thing is, I'm looking at it, Hyam Bloom is only six years younger than Andrew Friedman. I did not know that. Yeah, no. He looks like he's 25. <laughs> yeah, no, he does. He's only both like both of them look like they're about twenty five. But yeah, no, he's only yeah. Only well, tw- we shall six, see. Six years. Later. No, like I said, like I just like I. I get it. It's just that the fact that there's not a track record I can look at, and say yes, he's this kind of guy. It's just it's, you know, like it's I concerning. I have been, I have been a defender concerning. of Dave Dombrowski. Just my like I don't like. I've been a defender you of him. And I both, you and I both were. You know, we to a certain championships extent. And we didn't want to be, you know, in Ben Sherrington land anymore. Yeah. Um, but 
You know, I was tired of I was tired of the Ben Sherrington era. I'm glad they moved on to Dave Dombrowski, but you know what? I'm also glad they moved on from Dave Dombrowski. Let's just hope that this guy can make it stick. Yeah, I would have liked to feel like there was a little bit more of a concrete plan when they moved on from Dave Dombrowski. Because at the very least, if like they moved on from Dave Dombrowski and then like hired this guy like the next week, I'd at least be like, okay, I might not agree with the plan necessarily, but at least like this seems like their plan working out. That might be the bigger thing. Sure. That might be why I'm a little more hesitant because once again, it's not like. They got rid of Dombrowski, and then it seemed like they couldn't get anybody to even sit down with them, and then they end up with this guy, like, a few days before the end of the season. Maybe that's, because sure, it doesn't feel surprised. like... Maybe, they, that's, maybe that's why it's concerning. That's, because it doesn't feel like this is, like, it doesn't feel like to the Red Sox that this is their best-case scenario. Sure. And, yeah, you want to hope that the guy they're hiring to run the whole ship is, like, a guy that they really wanted. And, like, maybe he was on their short list. I just doubt it. Just because, I don't know, I never believe the Red Sox about anything. In all fair, I never believe them about anything when they say anything. So. Sure, and it's getting, it's getting hard to do that more and more <laughs> it's always been uh, hard. with these moves. But what I, what I do think is that, you know, we will know next week yeah, um, sure. what, what we think of him. Because next week, you know, five days from the end of the World Series, which potentially could be tonight, J.D. Martinez has to make a decision. Sure. And he either opts in or opts out, and that's the first real test of, of free agency for Heim Bloom, and, and we shall see. Yeah, and in, I mean, in fairness, so when, like, when, when, in uh, fairness that moves. When you do your show next week, we will know. Yeah, and I mean, in fairness, that move has absolutely nothing to do with him. In, sure, but it sets the table for, you know, the struggle going forward or the plan sure. or yeah. how to fill that hole. Um, or if there's so a hole we to... shall see. Next, next time you do the show, you will know. Yeah, sure. Like I said, like, I just, like, I don't, I, I can see the guy succeeding. It's just, I just, I just would have liked to felt like he was their guy. And clearly he's, he wasn't their guy. And it's just that if they didn't get their guy, how am I supposed to feel really confident about the guy? So anyway, I don't know. Sure. Like some of you get your first pick. You know, maybe it's just that, you know, they're the Boston Red Sox. And I'd like to feel like of all teams, like they should be able to go out and like allure a guy in. Like guys should be banging down the door to want to run the Boston Red Sox. And it's not just like, you know, it's a biased Boston. Like just like with the team, with the resources they have. It should be a team. Guys are banging down the door to run. And they're not. And it's annoying because I can understand why they're not. And that, you know, once again, like that goes back to issues with ownership and that's just that's just frustrating to feel like you know ownership kind of maybe i'm not saying that if it wasn't for ownership they'd have andrew friedman right now or they'd have the well they probably still have theo epstein right now if it wasn't for me theo epstein never would have left if it wasn't for management theo exactly would no, it, it really is hard to swallow theo epstein would still be here but that's a whole different issue that's a whole alt history but yeah it's just you know they and whomever well it's just you know it's high in bloom now so let i should have Let's see what happens. Like I said, like, I... Well, you know what? You, I, you and I, next time you have me back on the show, we'll have another high and bloom conversation. Yeah. And hopefully no. some developments will happen in between. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I hope it. I hope it works. I just could also see... Yeah, I hope it works. Anyway, is that is that all the time you got for us today, Joe? But now you said you had about 20 that minutes. That is all the time I got today. All right. Thank you very much, Jake. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. I appreciate you. Uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye, Joe. And that was Joe Gudrid. That was the Do Your Job segment here on the show we're going to take another break here when we come back we're gonna kind of dive into the nfl talk about the patriots maybe check out what's going on around that good old nfl trade deadline and once again if you out there if you are not the telemarketer who calls the station 
30 times a day. And you want to chime in, and you are a real human person. Do not forget to call in at 401-456-8787. Once again, the phone number two. Get on the show is 401-456-8787. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we will be back in just a flash. WXIN Stadium Experience Jake Elmsley here We were just doing your Joe with Joe Guthrie Formerly still, I don't know I haven't seen him right in a while (laughs) They still got great takes So we're bringing him on the show I did Dance Dance Revolution this song last night It was very exciting I went down to free play with with the old lady And (laughs) And she really wanted to play Dance Dance Revolution Which I guess is a sport I guess I can talk about it here and she really wanted to play, and they had a whole section for anime tunes. And obviously, as you, uh, if you're a long tenured listener of mine, you know I enjoy playing the the anime jams. Uh, this was on there, so JoJo's Bizarre Adventure opening was in the Dance Dance Revolution machine. So I did it twice. Fun time. Very tired from it. This game takes it out of you. Let me tell you. But anyway, that's enough of that. We've been talking Kyrie Irving up to this point. Uh, Boston Red Sox. I am Bloom, and now we're gonna transition to the NFL. Okay, that's enough of that. Anyway, so the Patriots again they beat a team. They beat the Cleveland Browns. Um it looked like it was gonna be a blowout after the first quarter. When the you know, the Patriots they scored 17 points and the Browns the Browns turned the ball over three times and like Four minutes or something. Nick Chubb had two fumbles. Baker Mayfield threw a pick on a shovel pass, which I everybody else has said it, but I have never seen that before in my life. That was truly one of the most time-warpy things I've ever seen in my life. But nevertheless, so the Patriots, they were able to turn the ball over and only score 17 points, and we will get into that. I mean, only score 27 points. Now, we will say that, that the Patriots, I mean, the defense is still absolutely incredible and absolutely just not something you can even afford to miss, frankly. But the offense still, and even that's a drop. Like, they've still been allowing a lot of yards to running backs. Nick Chubb had 131 yards. Like, Nick Chubb, who I thought was going to get benched after the first quarter, <laughs> who I thought absolutely was going to get sat down after fumbling the ball three times. They kept him in, and of all the bad, dumb things that Freddie Kitchens did, you know what? Good for him for not, you know, he's show Freddie Kitchens has been catching a lot of gruff this week, and I kinda wanna hop in on that in uh in a split second here. And then you know, in a minute here. But the so Freddie Kitchens, for all the bad things he did, not having his team prepared, his team standing over the sideline like a billion times and getting yelled at. Running, you know, covering Edelman with a linebacker after coming out of a timeout on third down in the first quarter, which was one, which was bizarre, which was a bizarre, stupid decision. You know, letting his players run their mouths and not be ready. A lot of things, million bad things. He didn't bench his running back after he fumbled twice when I thought he should have. And you know what? His running back had a good game after that. So, you know, a little round of applause to Freddie Kitchens for that. Little tiny, tiny round of applause. But everything else about the Browns. 
<laughs> oh my god. Now, I wasn't, I did not buy into the Browns so much coming into the season. In fairness, I was one of the big brain people who, who had issues with them. But Jordan Moman, you know, former uh, friend of the show, former quasi co host on the program here, he was all bought in on the Browns. He thought that they were going to be a big rival in the AFC, yada, yada, yada. And they are crap. They, they, they are bad at football. They had so many penalties in this game. So many. 13? They're averaging, uh, like, they have, like, they have 70 penalties through seven games right now. They're averaging 10 penalties a game. <laughs> but, so the Browns are bad. The Browns, the Browns are bad. They're bad. So, yeah. The Patriots, another one. Another one bites the dust. They beat another one. Still offense, still not just it they they're scoring enough. Like realistically, if the Patriots score 20, 27 points a game, like they're they're gonna be fine. Like all year with the way the defense is playing, clearly. But there still is, you know. Oh, I turned my mic off with my elbow. The <coughs> I still want a little more. I don't know. I I don't I'm not concerned about the offense yet because a, A, biggest thing, the O-line's been battered all year. The O-line was even more battered on Sunday, where they were starting, God, the O-line, yeah. Because Shaq Mason was out. He was out with a, yeah, he was out with a, what, with an ankle? Was it again? Let me look these things up before. Yeah, they had him in, and then they had, yeah, and then the Patriots for their O-line, which if I told you at the start of the year, if you told me in, like, July that the Patriots O-line at some point during the year was going to turn into Marcus Cannon, James Frentz, Ted Karras, Joe Tooney, and Marshall Newhouse, my first question would have been, okay, who the hell is Marshall Newhouse? That doesn't sound like a real guy. You made that guy up. And then B, I would have gone, oh, well, that's not good. Yeah, which that's my, that was my long way of saying, oh, God, the O-line is, isn't very good when, you know, three of their starters, you know, th three of their starters are all out and they're playing, yeah, James Ernest, who I didn't know existed, honestly, until Sunday, where they said, James Furnace is playing, and... This is another thing I started thinking of. Because the O-line has been bad. And the, the O-line will also get better. It's like, I, I want to kind of, you know, get into a lot of things. The O-line, I, I think, will get... The I mean, of course, it'll get better. Because, you know, Shaq Mason will be back. He's been having a down year, but he's... He's better than James Fernets, Fernietz, James... James... Come here. I have a sh I have, I have a go shattering me. Come help me pronounce this. Come tell me how you pronounce How would you pronounce I'm bad at enunciations. Right here, James... Ferenc? Why not? James Ferenc. Yeah, why not? James Ferenc. Something I started thinking about it. So the way they're starting a new house and James Ferenc and I mean Ted Karras at center. During the draft, one of the things that I talked about is I really like the Patriots draft class this year, which so far <laughs> has not panned out in the much. Nikhil Harry has been hurt. 
Joe Juwan Williams hasn't played at all because the second guy's been Chase Vin Winovich has been pretty awesome. Damian Harris, for no inexplicable reason, hasn't played at all. And then you get to the next two picks, which I really like the picks of Yadni Kajust and Hajat Froldhunt. These are insane what they're making me do here. But both those guys hurt. I know Froldor went on IR because he wasn't ready. Like, wh where are they? Like, is Keiju still on the football injury list? Like, where are these guys? These guys you drafted. That could be giving you that depth. Like, it's just like, I I, I think they're both hurt. I know Froldor is hurt. Fro Fro. Frold, fro hold it, fro hold it, fro hold it. Hey, Haji, we'll come. No, I'm not gonna call him that. Fro hold it, for I'm not gonna sit here and stuff on that. I know he's hurt. Still would have been nice to have him on Sunday, instead of you know, Fernandes. And then Kajus, I'll give Kajus as a rookie, because frankly, anything has to be better than Marshall Newhouse. Newhouse, who cannot you know turn around quickly, who if you. Make him think you're going one way and he faces a little bit that way and you go the other way. He's not getting you. He can't. Like, it's just, if you had these guys, maybe that'd be better. Like, where, where are they? I don't know. It's my, like, Isaiah Wynn will be back soon, hopefully. And hopefully he doesn't, he stays healthy. But it's just like, where, why are you drafting these guys if they're not going to do anything? Like, why are you drafting Damian Harris? In the third round, if he's not gonna do anything, why? <laughs> like, it just I, like that was a little, that was something I thought of. Just I was like, huh? They drafted two O linemen, and I liked both those picks a lot. I'd sure like those picks better if they, well, you know, in the games, giving them depth. Like, isn't like this is when you draft them. Like. Like, this is why you draft guys for the depth. So you don't have to then turn to the trash heap and get Marshall Newhouse. So I don't. You don't have to bring Marshall Newhouse and redeem him for a nickel at the at the can redeeming place. I don't know what those are called. Do you know what those are called? No, no, no. Nobody knows what they're called. The, the can redeeming places. Where whatever they are. I don't know. I've never done that. I've never been to one of those. But Yeah, I don't know where they are. Now, like I said though, so the so the offense it, it didn't look good. It didn't look great. As it hasn't really looked great for a lot of the season. But in fairness to them. In fairness to them. I, I mean, like, the offense can only can only get better from here. For one thing, obviously, they're working in some new guys. Sanu, getting worked in. I do want to talk about... I want to talk about Josh Gordon in a moment as well. But Sanu, getting worked in. Nikhil Harry, coming back soon, I think. I imagine it's going to be Nikhil Harry and Isaiah Wynn who are coming off IR. Now, how he looks with Nikhil Harry, who knows? Because obviously Brady, you know, would rather gag himself than throw to a rookie sometimes, it seems like. It took him, like, you know, two months to warm up to 
Jacoby Myers. Who also, that chemistry could keep building. I think Jacoby Myers should play a very specific role, but maybe that keeps warming up. Ben Watson had one catch in that game. It was really good. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't throw it to him more. Like Ben Watson, all of his 36-year-old glory, ran down the seam, was going vertical, got that ball, plucked it from the sky, and it looked really cool. And it was maybe the best catch I've seen from a Patriots tight end all season. And then they didn't throw it to him anymore. I don't know why. Rex Burkhead coming back. He played last night. He should, I mean, he played Sunday. Should keep getting better. So it's just like, and they have the O-lineman coming back. So like the team should, the offense should keep getting better. But it's just, where is Frodohort? Where is Frohijati? Where is Kejust? Where are they? Why are they why are they not here? Why are you drafting them? Just to throw out James Fern Furnets. James Burnett's and Marshall Newhouse. Why? Why are you doing that to me, Patriots? Anyway, so that that's what's going on. And the trade deadline is in three hours. So I I have Schefter. I got Rappaport. I got them both open. We're waiting. We are waiting to see what happens, and I have my eyes peeled. Now we saw the rumors about Tyler Eifert. I don't. I don't love that. I don't know. I don't hate it either. I don't know. But we're gonna keep peeled, and I'm also gonna be making a guest appearance on a podcast tonight, so I'll be able to fully react to the trade deadline. It's been a fun trade deadline so far. Been, uh, been a lot of moves going on with uh, with a lot of like, guys like that freaking like for whatever reason Leonard Williams moved yesterday because the Giants decided to be buyers for some reason that's unbeknownst to me but nevertheless still a little bit of time left till the deadline I've seen reports out there the Patriots are maybe looking to add somebody. I, I'm i annoyed because last week I came on here. I came into radio, so I didn't podcast it. For some reason, the file got corrupted or whatever. I hope this episode doesn't because I like this episode. It's been a pretty decent episode so far <laughs> for me getting here late. But I thought with Sanu coming back, with Josh Gordon, that the offense seemed... Not great in terms of weapons, but felt complete. And then they go, and as we've been talking about, they release Josh Gordon under very odd, mysterious, unexplained circumstances that we're all still waiting for an answer for. But now, it's tough because I'm not super beat up about it because in the end, Josh Gordon was like, like a C-plus player right now. And Sanu is kind of in the same area. Like, they're both C-plus, B-minus type players. So they're interchangeable to a degree, but it's just, I don't... I don't know. I don't think there's a high-end guy out there unless they're going to add A.J. Green, who I'm now seeing that suddenly the Bengals are maybe. I mean, we'll look at the, the latest on A.J. Green, but. Like. Maybe A.J. Green? Like, that's the only guy who, you know. In fairness, 
that's the one who might be worth trading for. Otherwise, I mean, like they they have what they have. Like, I would only want to see them move for somebody if they brought in somebody who like was above what they had, who would be a serious upgrade at some spot on the depth chart. Which I don't know what they have. Like, if they bring in another guy of like Philip Dorsett caliber, then no, I don't, I don't want it because you know you, you already have that. And clearly, they're not willing to carry you know six or seven receivers right now for whatever reason. But they can carry you know. 18 special teamers. So, we'll see, but it doesn't look like this, like, at least at the moment, like there's... a ton of... trade deadline activity, so... I don't know. We just... gotta keep waiting, I suppose. And we'll see. And now the Patriots have a bye week, so I don't have a game to predict, which is saddening because the games are actually going to get good. And we can talk more about, you know, the Patriots and Ravens next week, which is actually like their first, might be their first actual challenge, which is exciting. Comic-Cons this weekend, so I'm kind of glad that I don't have to, you know, have to worry about missing a game. So, you know, that's going on. But anyway, uh, that should about do it for me here, I'd say at least. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Helmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We will be back next week, same time, noon to 2, right here on the radio station. This episode, as all episodes, will be going up on the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud page. And I'll see you there. Now have a lovely week, lovely tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time.